oh my goodness, bro, it's like four in the morning. Someone needs to answer their door so that this obnoxious knocking will finally stop. So my name's Tommy. I'm on the student team here at Plum Creek. And when my wife and I, uh, Mindy, we got married about 12 years ago, we moved into the third floor of an apartment complex in the Oklahoma City area. And I got to admit, it took probably way longer than it should have, like 15 to 20 minutes, before I finally realized, oh, that, I think that might be my front door that they're knocking on. And so I got out of bed, and I'm all groggy and a little frustrated because I just want to get some sleep. And I go, and we don't have a peephole or a window, so I just sort of slowly open the door to find four or five police officers who then push their way into my apartment, handcuff me, sit me down on the couch, and unequivocally tell me to shut up and sit down. I look over and I see my wife, Mindy, and all of this hullabaloo has finally arrived at our door in her shorts and t-shirt, and I'm sure the first thing that went through her mind is, who in the world did I just marry? What's happening here? But a couple of the officers, they go over to her, and they're shining their flashlights all over her face and neck and arms and legs. We would come to understand they were looking for bruises. And it seems like a long while before they turn their attention towards me, and I assure you that when they did, it was not a casual conversation over coffee that we were having together. One of them's like, hey, listen, the guy below you, he heard very clearly a domestic dispute going on. You can't deny it. Plus, you were clearly ducking us. It took you way too long to answer your front door. What do you have to say for yourself? And I swear to you, what was going on in my brain was very much like the scene out of an old Western ghost town where the only movement is like one single tumbleweed blowing across an otherwise deserted road. <laughs> I got nothing. And so as I'm sitting there trying to understand what's even happened, much less put it into words, they take my silence for obstinance as if I'm not going to cooperate. And so then they get even a little more aggressive and it just, it goes on for quite a while. And when I finally am able to come up with some words, they really have nothing to do with the line of questioning that they've been going through. And it was kind of just a feeble attempt to defend my own character. And I was like, listen, I'm a pastor. I would never harm my wife, I assure you. Like, look, look at the eight-week-old puppy we've got in the corner over here. That's not the kind of dog that someone has who would do something like this. Look, do you see the cake that's in the form of a cupcake on our counter, this giant cupcake? I baked that, and I iced it myself yesterday. Yesterday. How many hardened criminals do you know that would choose rainbow chip icing? <laughs> and one of them looks at me and he's like, did you know that the guy that lives below you is a police officer? Are you calling him a liar? How about I go get him? That way you can call him a liar to his face. And I'm like, I don't think the rainbow chip icing thing worked the way that I was hoping it would. It wasn't a great argument. And he comes upstairs and he's like, oh, good grief, dude. I've seen you guys around. You always look so happy. Like, I never would have pegged you as the kind of guy who would do something like this. But you, I, you can't deny it. I heard so clearly what was going on. 
And after a while, he turns to Mindy and he's like, listen, we can't force you to press charges, but the second you decide that you're done putting up with this, just let me know. I live downstairs. We'll make sure that you're safe. And after like a 30 to 45 minute ordeal, they all finally leave. And Mindy and I sit down on our couch just feeling so completely shell-shocked. Like, what just happened? And we're so confused and honestly felt really helpless that we couldn't convince them that whatever they had heard going on, it wasn't us. Now, luckily... Uh, not long after that, I ran into my downstairs neighbor and he apologized profusely because he realized, yeah, I made a big mistake and recognized that it wasn't you guys. And uh, you could just see the shame in his eyes every time we would just randomly run into him. But I was also able to thank him of like, hey, thanks for trying to keep my wife safe when you thought that she was in danger what was interesting is that I started to share this story over and over again. That's the kind of story you share, certainly. To my neighbors and friends and coworkers, I lost count pretty quickly how many of them responded to that story with something along the lines of, really? They thought that you were the one beating her up and not the other way around? Because, bro, I'm pretty sure she could take you, dude. Now, you need to understand a couple things. Number one, I haven't always had this, this Greek god physique that you see standing before you. No comments, please, okay? But also, my wife, Mindy, she was a college athlete, and she's highly competitive. These days, she wakes up before 5 a.m. most mornings to go do CrossFit. In fact, you should ask Pastor Doug sometime about the story when he was helping me to finish my basement a couple of years ago. And my wife, Mindy, comes tromping downstairs holding this big bag of floor cleaner. And she's holding it off to her side because her belly's out to here because she's eight months pregnant with our son, Judah. But she throws it down and just kind of casually goes about her business. And then a couple of minutes later, Pastor Doug went to go move that bag of floor cleaner. And he's like, holy crap, dude, this thing's like 50 pounds. And she was throwing it around like it was nothing. So, yeah, I suppose I shouldn't have been all that shocked by the many responses of people saying that it would have been more likely that she was the one beating me up and not the other way around. But the real kicker in all of this is that Mindy's name actually means gentle, <laughs> which she would tell you herself the vast majority of her life, she in no way embodied that name of gentle. And you know, in many ways, Minnie and I both have felt like we haven't quite fit the cultural molds that we feel like we were supposed to fit into. Even molds that have been held or created even by the church, which can be really, really hard. I'm sure many of you have felt this way at times. Females who have been rebuked or belittled for simply having some of the same qualities that are celebrated as great leadership qualities in men. Or men who maybe have felt emasculated at times because you struggle to enter into conversations about guns or, or being a good athlete or fill in the blank for whatever it might be. But as we're going to see in 1 Peter today, as we continue in this series, when it comes to following Jesus, it's way less about fitting into cultural molds and way more about breaking out of them as we as his followers are called to do things differently. 
If you have your Bibles or your devices, I'd love for you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. And last week, Pastor Doug read for us 1 Peter 2, 9, which reminds us that we ourselves as followers of Jesus are supposed to be royal priests and holy citizens of heaven, which is a reminder that, again, as followers of Jesus, we are strategically planted by God where we are so that we can shepherd and pastor and care for the unbelievers around us so that they can experience the grace and mercy and love of Jesus. That is our calling as we help to build his kingdom on earth rather than our own. Being used to fulfill the Lord's prayer when it says exactly that, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then the whole chunk that Pastor Doug talked on last week, it's split up into two different sections within the New Living Translation, which is the translation that we often teach from. And those two different sections are titled Respecting Earthly Authority. And then the other one was simply titled Slaves. And as we're going to continue in chapter three today, we're going to see three more distinct sections that are simply titled Wives, Husbands, and then All Christians. But what's interesting is that in the New International Version, it's not five distinct sections, but actually one giant section that is simply titled Living Godly Lives in a Pagan Society. Now, you need to know that those section headings that you see in your Bible, those are not in the original Greek manuscripts. Those are added by the translators to help us pick up on like themes within certain chunks of verses. And so as, as the NLT, as they break it out into five different chunks, that can help us to narrow down on some of the more specific themes, but it can also cause us to see each of those different sections as being very disparate or disconnected, when actually they're all pointing toward the same thing of living godly lives in a pagan society. And really, it's just one of the larger recurring themes in Peter's letter, which is that persecution which they were all going through at the time, can actually help bring clarity to their mission and as a result, our mission by extension in this world, which was to bear witness to God's mercy among the nations. And again, reading those five segments as part of one larger chunk, meaning we're picking up in the middle of that today, that can help us to see that largely we can do that through the way that we live our lives differently than the world around us. And so it's important to keep all of that context in mind as we continue reading in 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God." And I think we can all hear that and recognize it as being completely uplifting and not at all controversial within our current climate. And so we're just going to assume we've all got it and we're going to move on to the next thing, okay? <laughs> okay? Actually, these verses right here and others that are maybe similar within the New Covenant, the New Testament writings, they're great examples of how important it is 
that we understand the context of the verses as we are reading them. Because in many instances, we've seen it over and over again where verses will be pulled out of context and used almost like a weapon at someone else's expense. So it's important that we understand as we read these things what the author means and not simply what it says, especially when we see verses that, again, have been used against others to help perpetuate a power differential within relationships. Let me take the previous example uh, that Doug talked on last week uh, when it talks about slavery. We would all agree today that slavery is not a good thing. It is not something that Jesus ever would have supported. And yet... There was a long period of time where people would read those verses and either were unaware or maybe unconcerned with the context of what the author meant when he was writing those things. And as a result of what the words say, they walked away thinking, oh, the Bible passively condones, if not actively supports slavery. And we can see the damage that can be done from something like that. Here's another example of the importance of making sure that we are focusing on what verses mean and not just what they say. In Galatians 3.28, it says, there are no longer, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When he says that, he's not meaning that there are no longer people with Jewish heritage in this world, nor are there non-Jews in the world which for them was kind of a race thing. Or he's not saying, hey, there's no longer slaves. If you scour this whole world, you will never find another slave again, right? Nor will you find free people, which again, in and of itself would be a contradiction. He's not saying, hey, there are not males in this world. There are not females. The point that he's trying to make when he says this is that, hey, within each of those chunks of people that we've we've put together, these contrasting groups, There was a clear power and authority and status differential within those relationships. But guess what? As followers of Jesus, that's not how we're going to do things. At the foot of the cross, everyone is equal. There are no second-rate citizens in the kingdom of heaven. So now, enter stage left This passage that we just read from 1 Peter and others like it that have been historically used at the expense of women to perpetuate a power differential that Paul unequivocally disrupts in the verse that we just read in Galatians. And again, remember that before Peter turns his attentions towards wives, he's like, hey, for all of us, we should be respecting earthly authorities, even if they are not followers of Jesus. And then he turns his attention towards wives and gives a very like, specific example of, hey, if we've got a wife who is a believer, who's married to a husband who isn't a believer, here's how you can win them over to Jesus. The same way that I just told you to be respectful of, of earthly political authorities, we should do the same thing within this relationship because in Christ, we're all equal, which we're gonna come back to that word equal in just a second because he uses that very word in just a moment. There is no power differential for us as followers of Jesus, but guess what? In the culture around there very much is a power differential. And so if we use our newfound freedom and liberation in Christ to rebel, 
that's not going to win them over. And so here's what it could look like to try to point your husbands towards Jesus by showing them the same grace and mercy and love that Jesus showed to his enemies. That's how we're going to subvert the culture around us. And to be clear, he's not saying that it's okay, like women, you're not allowed to set boundaries. You are. He's not saying that you should feel trapped in an abusive relationship. That's not what he's getting at here. As he continues, he's essentially saying, hey, that's a tough situation that you could be thrown into. And so here's some tips on how you can win those husbands over. Live lives that are pure and reverent. Don't get sucked into the superficiality of the culture around us that is pretty exclusively focused on the outward appearances rather than the inward strength of character. That's not how we should be doing things. In other words, hey, listen, it's, it, it's in a superficial culture, it's way more striking rather than outward appearance. What's way more striking is an inward strength of character. He's not saying, hey, it's, you shouldn't braid your hair. You shouldn't wear nice clothes. He's saying, hey, that, that, that should not be the thing that defines us to people around us. That sounds pretty familiar in our day and age that we can get so focused on the superficial outside and miss the fact that he's like, no, actually, we should be focused on what's inside. That's what matters. In fact, this idea points us to our main thoughts. I would encourage you, write this down, take a picture. This is such a great reminder for all of us. My call is to embody the way of Jesus. My call is to embody the way of Jesus. That's what Peter is getting at by unpacking how we can live godly lives in a pagan society, a pagan culture. My call is to embody the way of Jesus. In other words, to more and more surrender myself to Jesus so that the Spirit can make me look more and more like him, which will cause me to do things his way rather than my own. My call is to embody the way of Jesus. So yeah, that's way less about outward appearances and more about inward transformation, as Peter is alluding to here. And then as he continues to unpack what this could practically look like, he uses a couple of words that can be misconstrued without understanding the proper context and, and meaning that it would have had for them, especially in those days, as he tells women to focus on having a gentle and quiet spirit, which again has been used over and over again to paint a picture that a godly woman is supposed to be more obedient than mutually submissive, which is how Paul describes how we're supposed to operate within this relationship and to have a demeanor that is just kind of quiet and sort of fades into the background without making any sort of waves. And I feel like I need to say that I'm sorry if verses like this have ever been used to make you feel like you should be making yourself smaller. Because it clearly flies in the face against the fact that, that Paul commends many women for being great leaders and servants within the early church. Or the fact that Jesus himself says that your sons and your daughters will prophesy, 
which means to bring a word from God, which in our day and age most frequently plays out like this of preaching. So he's not saying, hey, be silent. So when Peter, what he says essentially is women be gentle and quiet. But the key word study Bible points out that the word that we translate as gentle would actually honestly be better translated as meek, except that we don't like the word meek because we can't hear meekness without thinking weakness in our society. But that's not what it meant for them. For them, this gentleness was the middle ground in being angry between like constantly flying off the handle in a rage all the time for no reason, abusive with how angry we are all the time. And then the opposite end of that spectrum of like, I'm completely passive and I don't ever speak up even when I see injustices around me and I don't stand up for people. I don't try to make things better. For them, this gentleness, it was getting angry at the right time, in the right way, in the right measure, expressing it appropriately in order to make a difference. Therefore, gentleness for them was a virtue born in strength of character. It's not about like this natural disposition that we should be aiming for. In fact, author Neil Anderson, he, he talks about it as being power under control. Like a warrior that would ride into battle on their war horse, and yet it, that, that horse is so incredibly strong and powerful, and yet the best of them, they wouldn't even use bridles as they're riding in because they had it so under control that they could just like with the gentle squeezes of their legs control where the horse went, what it did. That's what our anger ought to look like, is that it's, it's focused in the right ways. It's used appropriately to be able to make a difference in the world around us. Our anger causes us to want to act, but we are not controlled by it. We're not abusive with it. And so building on that, the Greek word for quiet means to keep one seat. Or we might say it again, not to fly off the handle in a rage. So again, rather than just being silent, it's like, hey, no, we, need, we just need to be controlled with how we present ourselves. So gentleness, it is not passivity. I'm just going to ignore the things around me and act like nothing's happening. But nor is it abusive rage, being quick-tempered. In other words, Peter is not saying women... You should make yourselves weaker, but actually that you should show yourselves as stronger by embodying this virtue that is born in the strength of character from God's spirit working in our lives to mold us to look more and more like him. Good grief, men, I sure hope that we're pursuing that same kind of gentle meekness and quietness that keeps us from flying off the handle all the time because we have that same virtue born in strength of character. I said it already earlier, and I'm saying this with full permission from my wife, so I'm not going to get in trouble. Don't worry about me. But once again, she embodies the meaning of her name, gentleness, way more today than she did 15 years ago. 
in the same way that I'm significantly less arrogant and lazy and stupid than I was 15 years ago. Because we have a growth mindset. The the Holy Spirit is constantly working in our lives all the time as long as we are working to surrender to him. But I can see her striving day after day to surrender more of herself to Jesus. And that has led to her being more and more gentle in her leadership. She's an incredible leader. And yet that gentleness, it's not abdicating her leadership. It's focusing it and showing the strength of it and how she treats others. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us as his followers. He speaks truth over us way before we actually embody it. Just like her having the name that means gentle way before anyone would ever describe her as gentle. Now think of of Peter who wrote this very letter. Jesus called him the rock long before he was stable and mature. He speaks these truths into and over our lives saying, listen, through the power of my spirit, you will begin to embody this more and more as long as you work to surrender yourself more and more to me. So this calling to be gentle, it's part of the calling to embody the way of Jesus because Jesus actually uses the same word of gentleness or meekness to describe himself. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. I will not fly off the handle in a rage, but neither will I ignore the things that need to be addressed in you because I love you way too much. I will show strength of character as I gently mold you and shape you to look more like me. Listen, none of us naturally get this balancing act of gentle right, naturally, because, again, we're all either way more predispositioned towards that rage that can be abusive and harmful, or we're more predispositioned for that passivity of like, I I don't don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, and so I probably just won't say anything at all. And so for some of us, learning to embody that gentleness that Jesus talks about and that Peter talks about, that's going to mean that we have to learn, actually, that we, we are called to speak up when we see injustices. We are called to make a difference in the world around us by not passively sitting by and not doing anything. But for some of us, listen, I I get it. Some of you might be sitting there being like, gentle. Pastor Tommy, come on. This country needs lions, not sheep. Yeah, maybe. But bravado and, and brashness and abusive rage is not what the kingdom of God needs. According to Peter here, and Paul, and Jesus himself, who, who, by the way, Jesus, who shows up in Revelation at the end of all things, showing his full authority, his full power, he shows up not as the lion, but as the lamb who was slain, showing what that gentleness looks like. 
That's the strength that he shows in subverting cultural expectation. And so we are called to be gentle, displaying that virtue born of the strength of Jesus at work in our lives, causing us to look more and more like him so that we can be agents of change in the world around us as we help and are used by God to help his kingdom reign on earth as it is in heaven. For the Lord's sake, We are called to do this differently. My call is to embody the way of Jesus. And so he says, hey, wives of unbelieving husbands, here's how you can point your husbands towards Jesus. But husbands, if you are believers, listen, we're going to do this very different than the world around us does this. He says in verse 7, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. He's saying, husbands, your wives might be weaker, and again, not even weaker as in less capable. Let me remind you of how Pastor Doug was outlifted by my eight-month pregnant wife, okay? <laughs> Not less capable, but maybe more vulnerable because of the way people around treat women. And so here's how we ought to be doing this differently. I get it. The culture around us does not do it this way. And so, listen, a lot of people around, they treat their wives more like property, but that's not how you are called to do it because we are equal partners in God's gift of grace and mercy and love. And so we are going to do this different than the culture around us. We are going to mutually submit, which is the language that Paul uses. We are going to mutually honor one another. And this is interesting. He doesn't say this to the wives, but he says it to the husbands, which should maybe be a wake-up call to us. He says, if you don't do this well, husbands, your prayers will be hindered. Hmm. And he finishes by broadening it to all of us, continuing in verse 8. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. I'm going to pause for a second. Can someone please say amen to that just for my sake? Good grief. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Here's what gentleness looks like. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. My call is to embody the way of Jesus. Remember that back in chapter 2, Peter said in verse 5, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. Do you know what the temple represented in the Old Covenant before Jesus showed up? The very presence of God himself. So when Peter is saying, hey, guess what? Now God is building you as stones into a living temple. He's saying, hey, not only do you get to represent the very presence of God, but actually you get to carry with you 
the very presence of God into a broken world around us. We are called to be agents of reconciliation. We are called to be ambassadors for God's grace and mercy as we make a difference in helping God's kingdom to reign on earth as it is in heaven. Our call is to embody the way of Jesus. And when we do that well, little by little, we are used by God to make a difference. And listen, it's worth reminding us that we don't achieve these things by like white knuckle trying to force the the fruit of God's spirit to grow in our lives. Pastor John Mark Comer says it this way, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do the things Jesus did. That's what it means to embody or practice the way of Jesus. The more we spend time with him, the more we will look like him, the more we will do things like he did to establish God's kingdom on earth. Like sharing the good news of the gospel with people around us that need to hear it. Like caring for the poor and the vulnerable and the orphans and the widows stamping out systems of oppression, loving our neighbors well, even if they don't look like us or sound like us. In the section of godly, of living godly lives in a pagan society, a pagan culture, Peter gives us building blocks that we can use to build our lives on Jesus so that we can be used to help shepherd and pastor and care for people well so that they can experience his presence and hopefully lead them into a relationship with him as a result. And listen, we don't just do these things because we are changed lives simply for the sake of being changed lives. We were never meant to be holy statues that are just put up on a shelf to be admired. We do these things because we are to be changed lives. Help me out. Changing lives. For his sake. For the sake of those around us who need to see his love and his mercy and his grace, we are going to do things differently. Father, we thank you for your incredible grace and patience and gentleness as we know that we so often get this wrong. But God, we want to continue to surrender more and more of ourselves to you so that we can learn to look more and more like you so that we can make a difference in this world around us. God, show us the ways in which we've been getting it wrong. (laughs) Forgive us for the ways that we have, have used your name in a way that's harmful to others. God, help us to lead out in our culture by doing things differently so that you can receive the glory and the honor and the power that you deserve. We love you. It's in the name that we pray. Amen.